I wanted to stand on the bow of the ship like you. And I wanted the wind in my hair like it was in yours. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome back to Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast on NarniaWeb.com. I'm Brian Carnell, also known as Glumpuddle. We have two Caspians on the show today, Samuel West and Ben Barnes. Sam played Caspian in BBC's Voyage of the Dawn Treader miniseries in 1989. Finally, if your lordship will give me a sword, I shall prove in clean battle that I am the son of your old friend and master. I too am Caspian, lawful king of Narnia, lord of Care Paravel, and emperor of the Lone Islands. Nineteen years later, Ben portrayed Caspian on the big screen. Two days ago, I didn't believe in the existence of talking animals, or dwarves, or centaurs. But here you are, in strength and numbers that, that we tell Marines could never have imagined. Sam recently finished filming season two of All Creatures Great and Small, and Ben can still be seen in the Netflix series Shadow and Bone. Video from this conversation is also available, the link to which I will include in the description. Enjoy. Good morning, Sam. Thanks for being here. Good morning to you. And great to see you again, Ben. Uh, you might remember I interviewed you on the set of Prince Caspian and Usti. No, of course I do. Of course I do, because Narnia Webb was... Narnia. I remember when I got this job and sort of arrived on set and, and Georgie and Anna and Will all these experienced veterans of being in the films were telling me that Narnia Webb was where we were to get all the honest reactions to <laughs> to everything that was happening. So it was actually one of the first things that I sort of uh, came across when, when, when I sort of landed in this world. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, now, I remember one of the things you told me, uh, Ben, on the set was that you grew up on the BBC versions of the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I did. I I, I absolutely did. I still have my combined copy of Prince Caspian and the Void of the Dawn Treader because I was eight when I watched the BBC versions. They're just utterly magical to me in every single way, even though there's sort of, you know, stuffed beavers being clearly thrown from one AD to the other in front of the lens. <laughs> um uh they are to me perfect and and magical in every way there we are and so i won't i won't hear i won't hear it anything uh i won't hear a single word against it so as long as as long as as long as we have a vote and it's confined entirely to eight-year-olds i think i think the bbc might win <laughs> or just the, or just the two of us I think. yes exactly no i'm not going no, i couldn't i would um Yes, I know exactly what you mean about throwing beavers to ADs. But, um, <laughs> but yes, it is It is lovely when you meet people who saw it when it first came out um, or, or when they were eight, uh, first met it when they were eight, because, I mean, it, it, it binds you together in a sort of shared childhood experience, as, as I suppose being 10 when the first Harry Potter book came out or, or even being eight when the first Narnia book came out in whenever it was, 50, 1950. Mm -hmm. or thereabouts. Yeah, we've heard Ben talk about, you know, what a fan he was of the BBC ones growing up. What about the flip side of that? For you, Sam, was it strange at all seeing Ben take on the character in the newer movies? Was it weird seeing someone else? Not at all. Not at all. I thought he, I thought he was marvellous. I mean, of course, I, I didn't see them when I was small because they didn't exist and I'm extremely old. 
Um, but uh, no, I went to see them when they were released. And I thought, first of all, I was quite jealous that he got to play Prince Caspian because I didn't. That's right. Um, uh, th th there was a very, that was a very clever casting decision, I think. Not that I didn't love Jean-Marc Perret's performance um, uh, as, as the young Prince Caspian, but to have an older Prince Caspian so that you have the continuity through those two books. I love Ben's performance because it was dashing and brave, but full of sort of self-doubt and, and duty and truth and, um, you know, all the things that happen to you if you're a king or a prince or if you're a thoughtful one, uh, which, of course, Caspian is. No, I, th I think that I think they're terrific, and um, I mean, although they do have budgets you know, roughly a hundred times what we had at the time, um, you know, they use them extremely well, and um, and there are some there are some there are some lovely performances. Um, I you mentioned before we started, Ben, that the the child the Pevensey children have an advantage over Caspian when he arrives, that in that they've <laughs> they've already done one, yes. um, but they're also, as you say, kids. So, um, you know, you have to hit the ground running and they're, um, they're veterans of, you know, one year already and uh, discovering they quite like it and they're still sort of 12. Well, it's interesting what you said, what you said, we're saying about Harry Potter and, uh, you know, obviously this device that's used so often in children's literature of putting the protagonist at the age of the person that you hope will be, you know, most engaged with reading it and watching it. And they're learning about the universe that they've discovered as you are reading about it. And obviously in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you're very much one of those Pevensey children. And then by the time you get to Prince Caspian, they've been to this world before. And although they're discovering new things, that sort of baton is passed to the Caspian character, who, even though he's grown up in that world, is very much the fish out of water that is being asked to switch allegiances and, and confused by the world outside of the, the castle grounds. Um, but I was never very interested in any of that. Um, I was I was interested in getting to be Sam Weston and, and being the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I wanted to be the king. I wanted to be the person who knew what was going on and was in charge and would have the answers. Um, and I, I think that was partly to do with me being far too old to be cast as Prince Caspian, uh, but then sort of squeezing into that box a, a 25-year-old um, to play a 13 year old or whatever who's supposed to be but knowing that we would sort of follow up quite quickly with the next one and I would feel you know a little more comfortable in that 26 year old body you knew you were going to do the second one by the time you started the first one of course it, 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 we didn't know for certain but it was very much sort of part of the of the plan and it was always my favorite of the stories the dawn treader mine too it's interesting that isn't it because it, it does it does seem it does it has a very different character from from the other books, mm. and I mean, in a sense, in, the, in that we're talk, we're talking about a, a you know a major protagonist here, but there isn't really an antagonist. Um, I mean, he's not set up against a, a witch or a, a, a big baddie. I mean, some slavers on the first group of islands, but they're quickly disposed of. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's much more about what you learn about yourself. I think. Yes, but you're right. It's a series of those sort of allegorical challenges uh, yeah. representing different almost like little biblical stories of like you know the dipping in 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 the, in the water to turn things to gold and obviously the the turning into the dragon and the, the those kind of the repercussions of of behaving in it in, in that kind of way so the imagery was always so clear yes you get you get one you get one moral per per island one moral per <laughs> island and the imagery was always even in the books but obviously you know visually it really it works really well to sort of show something being 
dipped in gold or to show dragon scales or to show these, you know, to see these things was 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 always like really enticing. Yeah, and Ben, you've talked a lot about you know growing up with the books and you know feeling the, you know the the pressure of playing Caspian and everything. Um, was it what about you, Sam? When when you got the role, um, did you um, have a, how much of a sense did you have of how well known the books were, and uh, did you have any sense of pressure in stepping into that character? Well, um, I suppose I was slightly saved from that by not playing the book that was named after the character of Prince Caspian. As I say, you know, I get, I get to, I get to avoid that one. I mean, obviously they're, you know, it, it enormously famous and big, and I, and I owned them in these, these old puffin editions. I've just brought up Prince Caspian. Oh, look at that! Um, uh, uh, with the with the wonderful Pauline Baines illustrations, and um, I mean, I, I was professionally, I was enormously pleased uh, about getting the job because I did get a place in uh, Webber Douglas, a drama school that doesn't exist anymore, and then I was offered a film called Reunion filming in Berlin and uh, I said can I put my can I put my place off for a year and Weber Douglas quite properly said no um, that you need to reapply so I did the film and I said to myself well I'll do this film now because it's a nice job and I'm being paid and it feels like you know being paid not to go to drama school really even though I really wanted to go and I said well in a year's time if I'm not working then I'll go I'll reapply and if I um and if I am working then I then I won't and then in a year's time I was I was doing Narnia. I was I was in Narnia. I mean, I remember coming home one weekend, having driven from Milford Haven on the west coast of Wales, and my mother said, "What What have you been doing this weekend?" And I said, "I've been on a beach in chainmail talking to a dragon," <laughs> which was precisely what I'd been doing. I just got a car and I sort of driven myself all the way back to Wandsworth, where I lived with my parents saying I've just had a very strange weekend and and that was that was what kept me out of drama school and I so I never went uh, and I should have gone because all sorts of things would have been better if I had but um but the but the job I mean professionally was very important f for that reason but but that was my perfect summer the summer of 89 filming Narnia and driving driving from Milford Haven to to be on a beach in chainmail talking to a dragon and it was a beautiful summer which you can see in the adaptation, actually. There's a lot of sun. I mean, when it's not dark and we're fighting sea serpents. You know, there's a sequence on Tresco where, um, is it Bern? Lord Bern and I are walking down this long staircase having a conversation about, he's just bought me. That's right, yes, he's just bought me and, and he doesn't know who I am. That's filmed in a thing called Tresco Abbey Gardens, which is probably the, the most tropical place you can get to in, in Britain easily. So yes, I mean, in a, in a sense, it was just a, it was a perfect summer, um, in in a in a slightly strange and rather beautiful place. Did you call us? No, though I'm very glad you came. Perhaps someone else thought that we'd be useful on this quest. Aslan. That is the other thought in my mind. Aslan has always appeared from the east. Might we not on this voyage find him and greet him in his own land? That is my high hope, sire. Why not travel to the very edge of the Eastern world, into Aslan's own country? We've alluded to some of the differences and similarities between the two productions. Uh, one thing they both have in common, and that you guys have in common, 
uh, we don't we don't have to play six degrees to connect you guys because you both worked with Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis being Reapy Cheap on the BBC versions and Nickabrick and the Walden versions. Ben, I'm just curious, since you were such a fan of the BBC versions, how conscious of that were you? And did you have did you have any discussions with Warwick about that? I, I, I was I was I I was aware of it, but I was a bit too busy being starstruck starstruck at that that Willow was there. And I think he's 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 got such a immediately sunny disposition and he he's he, he was he was extremely naughty and funny and and we had a i've got actually still quite a few videos on my phone which i've never shown anyone of him and i um sort of behind the scenes goofing is is really the only word i could think of but he would he he i had this huge long cape and he would sometimes just sort of stand behind it and he'd go second floor please and i would sort of lift it up and he'd walk out or 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 and I've got a brilliant video of that, and then and then another video I think I've got of one of him pretending he had this horrible uh, himself and and Peter Dinklage who played Trumpkin. Um, they had these awful, uh, brilliant to look at, awful to 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 endure uh, beards and wigs, uh, sort of bald caps and, and and long wigs and scratchy scratchy beards, which had to be sort of attended to every seven minutes, or or or, or the moustache would start to peel off with these lovely makeup teams uh, from the Wetter Workshop who were just brilliant, uh, very attentive to, to keeping it sort of perfect. And Warwick was just obviously so fed up with, with this. Um, but he made it funny in that every time someone came near him with a brush, he would look at them like, what are you, what are you doing? Stop that. <laughs> Uh, it just he made this whole game out of it that that what they were doing to it, it, to come and fix his beard was ridiculous. And I have these videos of him looking at the person like they're crazy for coming over with a brush. And, and he was always just utterly enthused and, and and committed to being there, which I gather he has been on everything he's ever done, which is why people love him. I think that's a beautiful beautiful tribute. If you give me looking over my shoulder for a second, keep going, keep going. I'm listening, bro. Okay. I've got one of Warwick's noses somewhere. I'm just looking to see if it's here. <laughs> Whoa, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, just it, lying around. It's a, it, no, it's a latex nose. It was, it was pinned against um, that wall for a long time, like a sort of trophy. Uh, but eventually it got so hard that it fell off. And I've, I've got it in a box somewhere. I should have looked it out. One of the Reaper probably, Cheap noses. One of the Reaper Cheap noses from 1989, yeah. Uh, it's my, one of my souvenirs. Not quite as romantic as some of the props Ben has, like uh, the sword, um, but very notable. Which I'll, which I'll wheel out at any opportunity. Of, yeah, uh, Rupert Cheap's nose. I had my little gold hat. As well. No, I agree. I mean, Warwick, uh, that uh, absolutely chimes with the experience I had of, of working with Warwick. I mean, he's, he, was a, he was a veteran. He was still a teenager. I, I can't remember how old he was when, when we started. But um, I remember when he did his, his exit at the end, when he waves... Um, Alex Kirby, the director, turned to the to the director of photography and the focus puller and said, uh, "How is that?" And the focus puller said, "I don't know, mate. I couldn't see. I was crying too much." Ah, what <laughs> um, better compliment to an actor? Precisely. It's. Um, I mean, he 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 absolutely embodies the character of Reaper Cheap. I think of of of, of nobility and strength and um, uh, and and honour, but also. Um, above his station and, and above his size. That was one of the things that I really do remember because we worked with 
such a range of people of of all sizes. I mean, Rince, uh, Guy Fithen, who plays Rince, was about six foot five, I think. Oh, wow. And, and Warwick was three foot something. And we had sort of everybody else in between. And I remember just stop, just stopping noticing how tall people were. And one day we went to Warwick Castle. I think we went because Warwick thought it might be named after him. And uh, Warwick Castle is a medieval castle where all the where all the doorways are quite low, and all the adults banged their heads. And I've got a picture of Warwick happily strolling through a doorway, which is exactly the right size for him. And uh, <laughs> and as I say, just sort of not noticing how tall people were after a while. It's a funny again. I have exactly the same experience from from the films from from this actor and stuntman called Jimmy who would stand in for Warwick and Peter who was e even smaller than they were all the way up to Shane Rangi who would play all the minor tours and I'm sure you've come across him Brian before his mm -hmm. magnificent oh, yeah. Maori actor and stuntman who played a lot of the different characters in in, in the movies um, mm -hmm. they also put him on these sort of sp sprung stilts that the that the the fawns and minotaurs would sort of wear fight in, which made him. They were called power risers. Power risers. That's what they were called. I knew they had a cool name, and I knew I wouldn't that's remember a, that's it. That's a better name than sprung stilts, isn't it? I want power risers. He put him on the power risers, and then he had this big animatronic minotaur head, and he would sort of. He, I remember once he was leading the the, the charge, and mm -hmm. and there was this electronic gate that was slowly rising, and he was at the very front of this pack of marauders uh, 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 and because he had this animatronic head on he couldn't see anything and he was racing olympic speeds towards this gate and you could absolutely tell that the gate was not going to open enough by about four inches by the time he got to it everyone was doing that that maths as he was charging towards it and sure enough he just <laughs> clanged right into it and was immediately knocked out on the ground uh, <laughs> And then, and then, talk about sunny disposition. Oh, he stood up and brushed himself off and went, "Right, let's go again." Mm -hmm. And the good news is, he was fine. And better to have a good story than a good time. Um, uh, well said. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Also, I have to say one thing. One other thing, which is that um, uh, Kenny Baker played one of the duffel pads. Oh, that's right. So it's the, that's the only time I ever worked with R two D two. <laughs> um, but but if you're doing a six degrees of um, of Samuel West, I get I get into the cast of um, Star Wars through Ken, through Kenny Baker, which is pretty cool. <laughs> it's fascinating how many of the things that I was looking forward to about shooting Voyage of the Dawn Treader were actually not because of the books; they were because of the BBC version, <laughs> because I I had the imagery of these things in my head, and I wanted to stand on the bow of the ship like you, and I. You know, I wanted my, the wind in my hair like it was in yours. Oh, I, I, I remember thinking, you know, and, and the, the sort of Gypsy Gold and the duffel puds in particular. I remember being excited about doing that sequence because I'd remembered the, the sort of design of the single shoe that they would each wear yeah. from that version of it. So that, that and that was actually <laughs> what made it really exciting for me. I, I want to say one, one more thing about me standing under the um, uh, standing by the sail. Uh, looking up and when praying for a wind, which I remember as being a particularly wanky moment that I would probably do quite differently now, uh, <laughs> being terribly sort of serious. I loved but, it. Uh, but the children, I remember um, David Thwaites, who, um, who who played Eustace, played me 
on a little show that the children put together on the on the tre- on the uh, the Silonian, the ship back from the city isles and he i remember a particular bit where he stood against the mast and looked up <laughs> and pretended to be me being very serious and i quite rightly got the piss ripped out of me for that and then i pretended to be you many years later it's exactly the same exactly <laughs> the same way just less just le- just much more earnestly without any hints of of mocking i'm really sorry <laughs> never give in our world our narnian lives depend on it Think of the lost souls we're here to save. Think of Aslan. Think of Narnia. For Narnia! And then I have a few questions from our Patreon supporters. Uh, to support Narnia Web, go to patreon.com slash Narnia Web. There's a question that comes from Trisha. Is it true uh, you're both AFC Wimbledon fans? Is that the question? That's exactly the question. No. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's not. If you went to Kingston University, you bloody should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Trisha wants to know uh, how much the Narnia books influence your performance. Um and uh, you've actually both recently played characters from books. Again, Sam, you're in All Creatures Great and Small, just finished filming the next season. And Ben, you're in Shadow and Bone on Netflix. Um, but I guess starting with you, Ben, um, you know, you talked about Sam and the BBC versions and the influence that was. But was there any did the books in particular have a direct influence on your performance or was it all just about interpreting the screenplay? I think I, it, it was more about the screenplay because I struggled a bit with the Prince Caspian book because of the, the age disparity that I felt. I felt sort of incapable of being thirteen. Uh, it just it just felt it felt like uh, uh, there was going to be a, some some kind of forced innocence or forced naivety or something. Um, by the way, I've, I've I've been so fortunate to be involved in sort of seven or eight adaptations of well-known stories. And there's, I always have this little curated list of moments from the books, which you're hoping you'll be able to get into the sandwich, into the adaptation or lines you, you hope you'll be able to say. And I remember in the Dawn Treader, and I'm not sure if it made it in the BBC version, but I remember them having a conversation about, and it was something I remembered vividly from the books about Caspian asking about the Pevensey's world. And, 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 yes. and he's, I remember him asking, is it true that, is it true that the world is, round and if so have you been to the other side where people are upside down <laughs> yes. and i remember thinking that was a this lovely part of his character which was the curiosity which i always find such an appealing quality in a character and i remember thinking that was sort of a bit missing from our version that, that i didn't ask them about their world but it was a far 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 above my pay grade at the time um now however you know doing things like shadow and bone i I will go directly to the author or the showrunner and say this is a fascinating moment from from the book can we please find a moment for this so but i didn't have that i hadn't earned that privilege at that point it was so early on in my career i think it's something that you build up over Mm. it takes about Mm. 15 years i've Mm. decided to to find the courage and it's really it's really helpful i think on the whole it's really helpful to a writer because they can I mean, they can say, yeah, I have considered that. It doesn't really fit. And that's a useful answer. It may not be what you want to hear. But at the same time, you know, you're the person who's got to play the part. And if you've got to play it over a number of stories, as you did, and, and I am now, you know, if I go to Ben Vanston, our writer on um, All Creatures Great and Small, and say, 
there's this bit of Siegfried that actually is a, is a bit I'm not sure we've we've seen much of before, and I really like that. Or, um, uh, you know, is there a reason why? Then then it, it, it's always helpful, I think, because you well you have to play the part exactly. Incidentally, talking of all creatures great and small, Ros Little is the costume designer. The first time I worked with Ros Little was on. Um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader because it was her first job. Thanks. Actually, Thanks. actually, the BBC, the BBC, um, uh, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe was her very first job. But the next year, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a brilliant answer, and um, I had a slightly easier time, I expect, because it's a pretty straightforward adaptation. The BBC one. I mean, it's, first of all, it's episodic. It's four episodes rather than one film. Uh, so it doesn't need to have the same graph. Each island can be exciting in it in its own right, and then you can have a sort of story of the week. I'm not sure there was anything in, in the book that uh, that I particularly missed. But what Ben said about curiosity is is very useful, because you know otherwise why isn't Caspian at home? He's got this thing he's promised to do, and he doesn't quite know how he's going to do it. He's got some people he's got to find. Um, but at the same time, you think there's a slight, there's a slight wanderlust. There's a slight, you know, I've got to turn myself into the person I'm going to be um, when I get back. It's it, it's a bit like kind of going to America. I played George the Sixth in a film with Bill Bill Murray, uh, which nobody's ever seen, ten years ago called um, Hyde Park on Hudson, and it, it's about it's about the George the Sixth and the Queen Mother uh, Elizabeth, his wife, going to uh, see Roosevelt, and they had a very successful time. And then when they get back, he's sort of turned into the king he needs to be. And I think about that in, as a Caspian thing sometimes. But um, yes, quite a, quite a straightforward um, quite a straightforward adaptation. And in fact, a lot of the dialogue is straight out of the book um, in in that slightly sort of staid BBC way that um, I suspect people fans of the book might like, and, and and fans of you know slightly more exciting television might think is a bit dull. <laughs> you are to go reap. And you, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace. Do you understand? We're to be parted. I'm to go back, and you go on alone, beyond the end of this world. And he means now, at once. What is the good of anything? Dear Caspian, you knew we had to go back to our own world sooner or later. And then here's a question from Darby. Um, She wants to know how you think Narnia has influenced you professionally. You know, both of you played Caspian relatively early in your career. So I guess starting with you, Ben, uh, were there any foundational lessons or experiences that that kind of shaped you um, as an actor? I mean, I feel probably all of them, all of the lessons. Um, But I would say what it did do was sort of introduce me to this sort of massive filmic experience into, I, I was, I, that was the one advantage of coming into this sort of found family who, who had some experience of, of making this, this, the successful adaptation of the first film in that there was a focus on enjoying it and having people's families around and, Sam talking about this golden summer of filming it. You know, we were in Australia filming The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, that the ashes was happening, you know, and I was a bit older, so I didn't have my family there, but I would go and sit with um, Will Poulter's family. Will Poulter, who played Eustace, utterly uh, uh, brilliantly. Oh, one, so that's a wonderful performance, I agree. 
like he does everything brilliantly. But um, he he was wonderful, and he, but he was so sweet. He would call me Uncle Ben, Uncle Benji, and and he would say, "Do you want to come and watch the cricket with me tomorrow?" And and it was sort of, sort of be invited over, and it was just the the, the sweetest boy. And, and of course, you know, Skander and Georgie were there, who I'd who I'd known, and Anna and Will came out for for a period of time. But it was, and I never forgot to enjoy doing this kind of work and whatever the question is that somebody might come to me with the answer is we but don't forget to enjoy this job and enjoy this experience and you know especially when it's sort of fantasy which I've done a lot of but that great lesson of you can be utterly focused and 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 have your curated list of quotes from the book and 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 be up all night the night before wondering what the best way to, to to deliver that line or get into a fierce argument about whether you wear that hat or not but at the end of the day remembering to enjoy it is actually such a huge part of it um i think they, they that is there is that adage about you know if you're laughing too much when you're making a comedy it's not going to be funny or whatever but i don't think it's that stands for if you're enjoying yourself too much it won't be enjoyable i think no and it's not a lesson that every actor gets taught uh, very early on no that's get taught true. to take it very 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 or mentored to take it very 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 seriously all the time and and i think that can sort of breed very quickly through through sets and then suddenly nobody's having a very nice time um so i think i think that was a lesson i learned very hard uh, and early mads mickelson there's a wonderful mads mickelson quote going around at the moment where he talks about how um he just thinks about the job he's doing at the time he says you know i want to have a career but actually what i i think how i have a career is by thinking that the thing i'm doing at the moment is the most important thing I'll ever do. I couldn't agree with that anymore. It's a. I'll send it to you. It's a wonderful quote. Um, and, and and that's how you get a career. You do you do a number of those things, and then you look back on it and go, "Well, that's a career." Then you you don't have a career by planning to have a career. You just no. sort of enjoy the job you're doing, and and that probably means you're going to do it as well as you can. And and then you, after doing a few of those, you go, "Oh, that's that's a career." Then, and 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 even if and even if it isn't, then then you then you can look back on a number of things that you you've had fun with. It's because part of wanting to enjoy it is is wanting to be proud of it because yes. you want to enjoy the process of delivering it and you want to enjoy the, you, you know. I would, I mean, that would be my main note to myself as Caspian now. I would just say, you know, relax and enjoy it a bit more. I was a, I was a rather serious child. I'm still quite a, a rather serious adult, but, but much less serious. But if you remember it as this golden summer. there's a certain amount summer. of that that's useful. If you remember it as this golden summer, there must, there must, you must have enjoyed it. I'm, no, I did. I did really enjoy it at the time, but I'm, I'm, I, my performance is a little bit, a little bit stayed. I think, and it doesn't, doesn't matter. But what, what I, no, what I will to me, say, you were, to me, you were golden. So, oh, you're yes, sweet. <laughs> it's certainly like golden wig. <laughs> was it a wig? No, it wasn't a wig. Oh, it was a wig. Yes, no, I have to say the wig. Yes. Oh, you just destroyed my life, Jean-Marc Perrin. No, because I do have very, very cold, very, very. Well, I did have very, very um, uh, curly golden hair. And Jean-Marc was partly cast because we looked quite like each other because he had uh, golden hair. And then in between, I did this film reunion, which I mentioned, where they straightened my hair. No. They 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 permed it straight and I came back and they went, what the hell have you done with your hair? We're going to have to make you a wig. So I was absolutely baking in that golden so summer. So therein lies the main I mean, difference. The bits, we sat with, the bits we filmed in Plas Neuf, the magician's house, I think was the happy was that was the hottest day in uh, in Wales that century, <laughs> and I'm wearing basically carpet. 
<laughs> anyway, um, but I, but I do want, but Brian, I do want to answer your question um, as, as beautifully, or try to as answer as, be as beautifully as Ben has. Um, I, I remember it principally as being sort of a child. So although I did carry many happy things on. I, I also, because I was friends with the children, particularly Richard Dempsey, who's, who's remained a mate, who played Peter, who I didn't, of course, act with because he's not in, um, but he was around for the filming of, of uh, Prince Caspian, which we did at the same time. He, he became a professional actor and, uh, um, and most of them, the others on the whole didn't. Uh, and I, I just felt very close to this group of people, even though I was, you know, eight years older than most of them. And when the last episode was shown, which was on Christmas Eve, 1989, and the three children held hands and looked at the painting and Eustace said, Did it really happen? It's a slightly sort of rushed but a bit uneven ending and I just remember weeping for the rest of the day I was at home I was watching it with my parents my parents who are both actors kind of it, it finished and they went yeah it was really good what's the matter with you and um and I just cried for the rest of the day because I realized that that was the end of my childhood that that final episode drew a line under the beautiful golden summer uh, and even though I was 23 and had been to university, that I couldn't, I couldn't call myself a child anymore and I wouldn't go back to Narnia. And I remember that being like the, uh, the force of a blow. Um, so in a sense, a sadder and a wiser man, I rose the morrow morn. It was Christmas Day and, and that was the beginning of my adult life. And it wasn't until Narnia had been made and shown that I realised that that, that that chapter was over. Um, yeah, I remember that really, really well. Wow, mm, that's so that's so lovely. Well, it's, it's it's sort of it's sort of what happens it's sort of what happens to Edmund and Lucy, isn't it? Because they they're told at the end that they can't go back because they're too old. Yeah, thank you for that, both of you. Um, so lastly, just to kind of look to the future here a little bit, um, Esther wanted me to ask you about Netflix. Um, as both of you might be aware, Netflix is developing new Chronicles of Narnia adaptations of their own. So, Ben, you might be about to pass on the baton to another Caspian, perhaps. Uh, would you uh, have any advice for uh, any future Caspians? <laughs> I, I'm sure it would be as, as, as different as the 1989 version was to ours. So I'm sure I wouldn't even begin to understand what it would be. Um, I can reveal, actually, at this point that uh, both Sam and I have both been asked to be in it um no that's not true at all uh <laughs> but they should i, I had like a fraction <laughs> of a second of really yeah. nah -uh, he's lying yeah. no. <laughs> uh, why not frankly yes. <laughs> um we'll be playing the very old lords i'll have warwick i'll have warwick's beard and i'll be in, you know sort of what's the, the starving lord sitting on the rock um <laughs> Can I do an Aslan voice? No, Sam. Sam, Sam I, I I would defer to Sam for that. That I couldn't possibly. It could be a good cameo in there somewhere. In all seriousness, I, 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 that's a problem out. for me because I just because of course I just hear 
I just hear Aslan as Ronnie Pickup now because of that. I mean, this, he was in my. You'd be a brilliant Aslan. Oh, you're very kind. And then I could be, I could be a badger or something. <laughs> I think if you're lucky enough to play a named a named part that is played by a number of people over the over the years. I mean, I'm doing it with Siegfried Farnan at the moment. Whether it's you know Doctor Who or or, or Hamlet, that that there's never a sense that you're the best one. There's just a sense that you get to carry the the torch for a bit and then pass it on with gratitude to the next person lucky enough. And to that you've shared something. Yes, exactly. You, you, yeah. you look at all the little details of you know it kind of thrilled me a bit that you were twenty three or twenty four when you when you did that because it made me feel like your experience must have been a bit more akin to mine than I thought. Uh, it's it, it just sort of and then you went home to Wandsworth but I went home to sort of Rains Park Wimbledon area I will look after it until you return I'm afraid that's just it I'm not coming back you're not you two are at least I think he means you two why did they do something wrong? Quite the opposite, dear one. But all things have their time. Your brother and sister have learned what they can from this world. Now it's time for them to live in their own. That experience must have been a bit more similar than we thought. I, again, that that painting at the end is a very powerful image for me. So it's a sort of it's about some, it's about sharing something, and I think that that's that's very much in the spirit of these of these of these stories. Oh, that that said, you know, it'd be lovely to have a cameo in it, wouldn't it? It'd be very jolly. Yeah, oh yeah, that was it's only half joking. Yeah. <laughs> I've remembered what I wanted to say. Yes, yeah, so a piece of advice of anybody playing uh, Caspian is um, try to marry Gabrielle Anwar. I remember, I remember um, meeting Gabrielle Anwar when she was, I think, nineteen. She she plays Ramandu's daughter. Uh. It was just the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. We became quite good friends, uh, uh, and still are, and. Um, uh, and then when I went to uh, Los Angeles for the first time a few years later, they said, um, how would you cast for this? Would you cast Gabrielle Anwar? And I went, there's a name I haven't heard for two years. And she'd been, meanwhile, she'd just danced with um, Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. In Scent of a remember. Woman, that's, I knew, I knew that's and, it was. And she's, become, she's you know, the most magical. famous person in the world overnight. Magical. And that was the beginning of, and I thought, no, I knew her when she was 19. We were married on an island. So that was nice. That was very jolly. Um, yeah, I think yeah, just just have 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 fun and um, you know I watch your predecessors or don't watch your predecessors and um, but there is a certain amount of duty with Caspian, which means that you know I find it really I find it really touching that Ben has has watched my performance because in a sense what Caspian is supposed to do as king is very much part of his character. You know how do it's I? It's a guardianship. Play... Yeah. It's a guardianship. Exactly. How do it? I play this part? It's not a. It's not a thing you you not generally ask yourself, but actually, if you're a king, it is. Um, you know, you're, mm. there's this there's this kind of javelin yeah, of absolutely. inheritance coming down through your family tree to pin you where you are, and, and 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 Caspian manages to escape that and go off in a ship and think, okay, I've got a, I've got about a year to find out who I am. Um, the, the, they talk about when you play the play the king that other people will play that status for you, but it's not really that kind of story there aren't people around in either book to sort of treat him like a king no you don't have a lot of courtiers do you 
No. There's, there aren't people to treat him like a king with that kind of respect. So you just have to find, dig, yeah. dig down inside those little allegories and find the right choices. And, yeah. And also when you're on a ship, you know, he calls you your majesty, but actually the captain's in charge. Yes. So, so you know, if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't do what he says, you're going to drown. Um, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, Ben, thanks so much for being on Talking Beast today. Uh, it was really great to get you guys together. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Talking Beast, the Narnie podcast from narnieweb.com. If you like this episode, you might also enjoy my conversations with Georgie Henley and Anna Popowell, linked in the description. Post a comment on narnieweb.com or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Visit patreon.com slash narnieweb to support this podcast and get exclusive content, including more episodes. Narnieweb is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can email me at glumpuddle at narnieweb.com. In the coming weeks, we'll be reviewing BBC's The Voyage of the Dawn Trader miniseries. Until then, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.